Welcome to the discussion, Strengthening Technology Risk Management in the Federal Government, sponsored by Tanium. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Anthony Belfury, the Senior Vice President and Chief Security Officer at Aon and a Tanium board member, and Ralph Kahn, the Vice President of Federal for Tanium. Anthony, Ralph, welcome to the discussion. Let me set a little context for our discussion today. We've all heard over the last nine months that the move to remote working has, has expanded the threat surface of agencies. And it's not just cybersecurity risk we're talking about. It's increased risks to data, to mission, to people. A new survey from the Association of Federal Enterprise Risk Management found 50% of the respondents said their ERM program has been, quote, extremely engaged or, quote, highly engaged in their organization's response to the pandemic. The survey found organizations with chief risk officers led ERM programs are almost twice as likely as others to be highly engaged or extremely engaged versus organizations with non-CRO-led programs. Additionally, nearly two-thirds, about 64% of respondents, are, anticip are anticipating implementing changes to their ERM programs, specifically in response to the pandemic. It seems like agencies are recognizing how their risk posture is changing and how they need to adjust their approach to ERM. Well, how can agencies do that? How can they adjust that approach? Well, that's where our guests come in. Let me again turn to our guests. Anthony Belfury is the Senior Vice President and Chief Risk Officer at Aon and Atanium Board Member, and Ralph Kahn is the Vice President of Federal Atanium. They're going to give us some insights, some thoughts about current and future states of enterprise risk management across the government. Ralph, let me just start with you because Atanium deals with this idea of risk management with agencies every day. What is different? How are agencies thinking differently about risk management when it comes across their enterprise? So I think you hit it on the head. Um, work from home and COVID has caused a tremendous change in the attack surface. People now are using devices they weren't using before. They're doing it from places and networks that they weren't doing it before. And a lot of the organizations are really having to rethink what that means in terms of their enterprise risk. And there are lots of different kinds of risk. Uh, obviously, technology risk is one that's on the front pages a lot these days, particularly in light of solar winds. Um, but there are the associated operational risks that go with that, the financial risks that go with that. And inside the government, you know, there are um, national risks and security risks and things that commercial industry may not think about. So a lot of the executives of the government are weighing how do they effectively respond to COVID-19 and get their mission going again and balance that against a whole new set of risks that they really uh, hadn't had a chance to spend a lot of time preparing for because nobody anticipated having to do it. That balance is is. I think initially it was tough, it has gotten easier, but as more agencies work from home, as more as, as the pandemic continues and forces us to really rethink our approach to mission, to services, how are agencies able to balance that risk? Does it get easier the longer we are in the pandemic remote working world? Does it get harder? What's your thoughts? No, look, I think uh, you, we've just had agencies, government agencies, private sector, the global economy, we've just had a nice 10 month business continuity exercise right? A DR on the fly. Let's test all those disaster recovery capabilities. Let's test all that business continuity, preparedness, the process, the people, the process, the technology, so that we can actually operate our business in this new paradigm, in this new remote paradigm. And, and what does that do from an operational risk perspective, an enterprise risk perspective, to Ralph's point, where are the implications financially, legally, contractually, from a regulatory perspective, from a secrecy and mission perspective for the gov, and depending on the agency we're talking about, you know, how are these things impacted? And, you know, I think the surprising thing at the end of this 10 month or 12 month cycle, depending on when you started your, your discrete program at your discrete entity, uh, guys like us found out that, you know what, we're, we're pretty prepared. The technology works a hell of a lot better than we thought it was gonna. We found some great disruptive technology, some great 
ways to innovate in the way in the way we did business. And we were able to retain that core business resilience. We were able to retain the continuity in our core business processes a hell of a lot better than most of us expected. Now that said, that was offset by you know, new threats, new risks that came out by being as a, as a byproduct of being in that new operational model, i.e. more phishing attacks than we've ever seen in our life because the bad actors out there, the nation states, the fraudsters, they know that like we're in this compromised position. Our, our employees are not working in that nice central core of a government facility with all the controls and the oversight and the monitoring that you typically have. You've moved to a decentralized, you're coming in from your house. So they've tried, you know, new spear phishing techniques and new attacks against our, our our employees, new social engineering scams, and we've seen a huge uptick in that space, and we've all had to address that. But generally, I would say COVID has been a, a pleasantly surprising outcome for 95% of the entities that have had to deal with this remotely, and and that goes for Gov, that goes for private sector. I've talked to guys in all different branches, to to all different all different businesses and and, and industries, and. Everyone is saying the same thing. Wow, what WebEx did for us, what Zoom did for us, what, you know, pick the plot, the Microsoft, the Google, everyone's got a product to play in this space. Like, it was really unbelievable the way this all came together. Ralph, I really like something that Anthony said, which is the, this was a great test of business resilience, of continuity of operations. For years, agencies have talked about this. For years, Tanium and other companies have talked to, the, to companies about, hey, be prepared for the unknown. And, and this shows that agencies have done a pretty good job. Do you get that same sense when you talk to agencies? Are they, if you will, proud of, 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 the, of how they've managed their risk? So I think by and large, agencies are proud of their response to COVID. And it's a multifaceted thing. It's one thing to get the you know, employees up and running from home, it's another to make sure those same employees are doing okay, right? Uh, it gets a little isolating at home. And there are a lot of factors that come into the risk equation here. But I think from a technology perspective, uh, many of the agencies are proud of, of what they've accomplished. And they've pivoted very quickly from, as Anthony said, a centralized in the core network model to a totally decentralized. Everybody's at home coming in through VPNs. What security controls do we use? How do we make sure there's some amount of monitoring? And uh, by and large, you know, there are a lot of different ways the agencies got there, but they all got there. And so I, I think there is a lot to be proud of there. Because one of the things that comes up as you talk about agencies making progress and, and the, the, as, as Anthony said, about 95% of all entities were really pleasantly surprised about their incomes, outcomes is this di distinction between the different risks they do face. Again, we've talked a lot, talk about technology and cyber risk, but there's mission risk and business risk and financial risk. Talk a little bit about how they're related and how can agencies really think through all those pieces and parts? I guess I'll, I'll take it off. Um, look, I think when you think about the ecosystem of risk, right? Everything that's out there and how we play it, I think there's different taxonomy, there's different terminology, there's different way people people kind of wrap this up into kind of different assessment protocols, ontologies of how they assess and what they call things. You know, generally speaking, I think the key term is the key two top two, the two top terms you will hear generally are enterprise risk or operational risk, right? At scale, right? And all these other risks are kind of a subset, cyber, you know, financial, regulatory, you know, all the different contractual, all the different risks that factor into this. What I will tell you on the Gov side, from what the conversations I've had with my peers who both support them as contractors, kind of guys who are in my role at some of the biggest contractors in the world that support the US Gov, two actual people and agencies and what they're dealing with right now, is that you know historically? Historically, people get to ver get very mission focused. You kind of got blinders on, 
And you kind of take a lot for granted on the underlying infrastructure, the foundation of your operation. And in terms of the operational risk that you're not really paying attention to a lot of these other risks that just, you know, your supplier risk, right? Your, your financial, uh, everyone's pretty cognizant of financial risk in the gov. We know our budgets, we know our cycles. People know kind of generally that there's a finite amount of time, finite amount of dollars, finite amount of cycles to get work done. And we got a mission to accomplish depending on where you are. So what's the best way to prioritize that from one to end and go after it? We're pretty good at that. But what ends up happening is when these ancillary risks that come in out of nowhere, whether it's a risk of just core business interruption because of the tech and the model you're operating or the actual risk from regulatory exposure or national security exposures or whatever, because these are different things that are gonna impact that kind of core day-to-day -day job. So what I, what I was, when I was talking to these folks, the biggest surprise is the majority of them says taking the blinders off and seeing everything at scale and realizing that in order to support this new operating model, we have to start actually taking supplier risks seriously, right? They didn't actually think of the implications that, hey, historically, I just kind of focused, they came to me, everything was on-prem, we were in our operation, we were going to task. Oh, and by the way, now we just changed the whole paradigm and I have to work in these guys' clouds or leverage these guys' technologies to facilitate us going forward. How do we manage that risk? How do I manage the risk of that third-party supplier? Do we even do oversight on them? Oh, and by the way, how do we know that they're not outsourcing our stuff to fourth and fifth party and fourth and fifth party risk comes into the mix? So a lot of interesting things. I think the biggest thing that COVID has spawned is the fact that it's made a lot of people cognizant of a lot of, a lot of other risk areas that they weren't typically dealing with in their day-to-day. I think it's forced us to look at a much broader view of operational and enterprise risk across our entities. And that's, that's a wake up call because you know what, the business we're getting into and guys like me who do security historically, physical and cyber and threat intelligence and all this great stuff, we're starting to realize the real end game is about operational resilience and not about cyber resilience. It's a much bigger play. And that as operational resilience is really predicated on a number of other areas that need to be addressed from a risk perspective. Anthony, I want to go back to something you said, because I think this is, 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 is really important key piece here. The supplier risk that people maybe didn't think of. Well, when I called XYZ company, Tanium, they were there. Well, now Tanium is getting calls from 50 agencies and 70 CIOs, and, and everybody needs something today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, not when you can get it to me. I think that really has is, is been a different kind of wake-up call. And I think that's why we're seeing that, that is that why you think we're moving from just this quote unquote cyber resilience to operational resilience? Because this has been a little bit of a wake up call about this broader issue to get mission done. I need all these pieces to come into place, not just the technology piece. Definitely brother. I think um, it takes a village, so to speak, right? You know, it's an amalgamation of different services, different capability, both tech, both people, manual, you know, in, in a lot of cases to run these businesses, although we did leverage technology, to automate away some of our overhead, to, to make us uh, innovate in new new ways and interact in new disruptive ways, um, there was still a lot of flex up in people and resources and services as well. So it's an amalgamation of skills. Uh, it's an amalgamation of, again, very cliche people, process, and technology being utilized in ways we hadn't used it before and understanding kind of now that we're using things in this way, what do the new risk profiles look like? What are the impacts of operating in a remote decentralized model uh, leveraging, doing some of the, the same mission critical work we were doing before in, let's say, not as secure environments, not as resilient environments, and with other factors that, that you never thought about having to worry about. You know, you, these, some of these suppliers 
oh, some of these suppliers historically were never supposed to have this, this level of access or this level of data, but we've been forced into a mode where we have to leverage them. And so how do we start thinking about doing that risk assessment, doing that, that risk quantification and qualification and understanding from an enterprise risk perspective, how we go about addressing it in the most effective manner? Those are great points. And I think that as agencies are thinking about this, as, as industry is thinking about this, because the risk piece falls onto them as much as it falls onto each, each individual agency, that they're going to start uh, have that change of thought process, the operational resiliency piece. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Strengthening Technology Risk Management in the Federal Government, sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network. Today's networks are more complex than ever before, and endpoints no longer reside solely within the bounds of the network firewall. The mission is executed beyond the perimeter. Compute is mobile. This complexity is driving increased risk across federal enterprises, but Tanium gives you the power to manage that technology risk with a single view of every endpoint, the power to identify and prioritize risks, and the power to take action to remediate in real time. Learn more at Tanium.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Strengthening Technology Risk Management in the Federal Government, sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guest today, Anthony Belfury, the Senior Vice President and Chief Security Officer of Aon and a Tanium board member, and Ralph Kahn, the Vice President of Federal, also at Tanium. Before break, we we're talking about the change that we've seen over the last six, nine, 12 months or so, this move towards operational resilience, as Anthony put it, put it uh, so, so described it well. I want to go to one, uh, step out of the federal world for a second and move into the commercial space. Are there some good practices? I know there are. So what are the good practices that maybe Fed should consider, should, should look into that they can pull from other, whether it's financial management or insurance or other technology companies to deal with this uh, growing risk space? A couple of things in that space, gang, right? One, um, what we're realizing is very quickly in the private sector is that this is way bigger than just tech. Right. There's this is a way bigger problem to mitigate and to manage than just throwing technology, innovative technology at these types of issues, because the way the threats are evolving, the way the attacks are happening. Indeed, in many cases, we're going to have no recourse ahead of time. We just we don't have an ability to protect against zero days. We don't have an ability to protect against someone being socially engineered and manipulated to do something uh, ineffective in our operating environment. And so the point is, is that these things are going to happen. It's not if it's when. And then it's not about, you know, I'm compliant with all these standards. I've had all these great uh, posture assessments. I'm looking great. Um, but generally speaking, when the rubber hits the road and you get punched in the face, how do good companies get back up off the mat? What makes you operationally resilient? What makes your business resilient from a cyber perspective, from a people and human capital perspective, from all the different ways that, you know, you're going to be tested uh, in terms of your core business processes and the capabilities you're going to bring to bear on the equation to actually get you back up. And so what you're going to see a pivot of, and we, this has been happening over, look, since about 2012, right? Um, you know, historically guys like me got paid to manage risks around things like malwares, around data leakage, around privacy events that make papers. Those were kind of the big headlines. But in 2012, you know, we saw a big pivot. We saw the government of Iran uh, start to enforce uh, geopolitical uh, endeavors in the cyberspace medium. 
and they started attacking every bank on Wall Street. They basically started DDoSing us from a, a Russian botnet. At the time, I was the global head of cyber security at JP Morgan Chase, and we were getting hit with daily DDoS attacks from September of that year through through uh, through March of the following year. And the Iranians were effectively testing cyber nukes in cyberspace with impunity, right? Because no one really wanted to deal with what was going on. And one of the things that came out of that, and one of the things I realized was that even though I had a a 900 person global team of rockstar guys who are ex NSA and FBI and secret service guys like, like and, and contractors, you know, and even though I had a $500 million budget, it didn't matter how big we were, we were going to still be susceptible to these attacks and they were still going to hit us. And one of the things I realized was, okay, we did all the right things ahead of time, but we still got hit. And then when we went to do our recovery, we realized we had some gaps in our game. One of those gaps was the fact that you know, maybe our DR wasn't effective initially as it needed to be. Maybe one of those gaps was ahead of time, you know, maybe we don't have cyber insurance to cover us for a business interruption or outage, right? Something to help us hedge and take the edge off the, the impact, right? To really reduce the severity of impact. So one of the things that we started to realize back in 2012, and now we've progressed almost nine years, right? Is that it's going to take a set of, it's going to take a very diverse set of controls and capabilities to manage risk at scale. And post this event, post SolarWinds and what we've realized here, you can have impacts everything from business interruption to data loss to regulatory noncompliance and punitive fines after the breach. I mean, you can get hit on so many different in so many different ways that it really forces you to think about a response strategy that is well more much more comprehensive than just people, process, and tech, and inclusive of new products, insurance, risk services. Uh, retainers with incident response companies. There's a whole litany of things that we need to do to make sure that we are in a position to respond effectively, mitigate severity in as timely a manner as possible, and get back up off the mat, right? That's the whole point. You got punched, get up as quickly as possible. And so with that pivot, a number of companies are, optim are in an interesting position today to optimally uh, start addressing these issues in the market, whether they're uh, services companies and contractors to come help, because all of us need more people with skills in this space. This is a very arcane discipline for those who, you know, guys who used to be cops just can't go be cyber experts, right? Like, you know, but, you know, although we see a lot of cyber experts becoming physical security experts, that's that pivot's happening, right? But, you know, it's going to take insurance and risk management on P&L and balance sheet issues. It's going to take people and human capital expertise to manage the risk in your human capital and your insiders. What if we have a disgruntled employee? What if we have a nation state actor inside our operation? You know, what, what's going on here? These are all ways to look at risk. So a lot of these services companies and a lot of technology companies that help enable contextualized views into these spaces are going to do well over the next couple of years and start being adopted by a larger, a larger percentage of the market than they were historically. And I wanted to add to that for a second, Anthony. Um, as companies get themselves back off the mat, I wanted to double tap a point you made about um, it's about how quickly and effectively you can do that. And it starts with getting a picture of what happened and what you need to do about it and then being able to react and respond, you know, at speed, at scale, very fast. So time makes a difference and the ability to do things, get good, accurate data, a good picture, and then be able to respond and react really quickly is critical to having a world-class uh, resiliency capability. And you know that's something I know there's a big focus on in the government is how much time does it take us to figure out what happened? How much time does it take to collect the data we need to figure it out? And then once we've got that, how long does it take us to respond to put things back into an operational capability? Absolutely.
Absolutely. And, and honestly, Ralph, you nailed it. I mean, the two biggest factors that are going to help you with, you know, mitigating severity of impact, right? Mean time to identification, mean time to response, lowering that, keeping it low. That's the, that's the golden, that's the golden attribute, the golden variable in this equation, right? We got to really, you know, try to lower those. And that's where the most cyber resilient, the most operationally resilient companies on the planet are the guys that do that better than, than those ones that just go out and buy 50, 50 million different technologies and put them together in some framework, but don't overlay the, don't take the time to do the, the actual detailed analysis planning, the, the overlay the people, the human capital risk, overlay the process risk, make sure we are resilient up and down the stack and, and twice on every day of the week and twice on Sunday, especially in the technology. Anthony, what you're talking about here really is a data problem, understanding the data, understanding Again, meantime to identify the, 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 the risk and or vulnerability and or attack, and then meantime to respond to it, that all comes back to data. So obviously data plays a big role in this and everything agencies and organizations do these days. Walk me through the, that role a little bit. How, how can agencies use data? What type of data should they be looking for? Help me understand better. Look, from a, from a data perspective, you know it's actually pretty overwhelming. We generate a lot of data today. Your business operation you know, between the technologies you use, your business partner relationships, the amount we have data overload, right? Some of it's sensitive, some of it's critical, some of it's prioritized, some of, some of it's regulatory, regu regulatorily mandated to be protected in a certain way. It's literally death by a million paper cuts for guys in our role who, you know, who have to protect the interests of these entities, whether you're in gov or private sector, you know, what do we target? What do we go after? How do we ensure we got the right level of, again, we have to spread the peanut butter on a piece of toast here. We don't have, we don't have all enough peanut butter to spread all the way across. What do we spread it over, right? So how do you identify what are those mission critical processes or business processes, right? What's mission critical, right? What are the app ecosystems that support them? And then what are the underlying infrastructures that support those apps? To be able to draw those lines, to leverage technologies, actually titanium or others that can actually help you draw those lines, in a, in a, integrate um, business oversight or business insights and context into your operational analysis of risk is critical. Because if you don't, I'm sorry, if you don't, um, you know, you could spend time and cycles and money remediating stuff that's not going to give you the optimal bang for the buck in risk mitigation, right? You need to understand your risk so you can allocate resource and capability in the most effective way possible. And so what I will tell you is the most critical thing coming out of this uh, out of a solar winds breach is for companies to really understand a what are those critical business processes b what are the, what are the apps and the systems that support them and then c on the back end what do we do from a resilience perspective to protect ourselves across each of those ecosystems right of app and infrastructure do we have good dr do we have monitoring do we have security response capability do we have insurance god forbid we get hit and we have business interruption that we're down for two days that we're actually taking some of the edge off the hit you know how are we making our company operationally resilient from a business perspective? So, and to double tap on that a little bit more, once they've identified those critical processes and data, um, they need to instrument it a little bit in terms of some things they need to collect over time because they're going to want to watch how they change and what the impact is. And other things, they're going to need to be able to collect real-time data about what's going on now, right? When they identify something's happened, they need to be able to look back in the past and you know see changes and patterns. And then they also have to ask questions like, okay, what does it look like this very second? And then when they are able to draw some conclusions and take actions, as 
Anthony pointed out, they need to focus on those areas, the processes, the people that are key to their operation and be able to execute the changes they need very, very quickly and with a high degree of assurance. And what I mean by that is whatever technology or process they use, when it says it makes a change, it needs to actually make the change. And so that's part of the DR process, not only saying I've got something that's gonna do it, but validating that it actually works and it works at scale and it works as fast. Because there's plenty of technology out there that looks great in a lab and great in a pilot. And as Anthony, I'm sure is aware over the last his long, long career, there are plenty of them that die <laughs> when you actually have to go and do DR. So making sure it's actually um, gives you the kind of response you're looking for in a real life situation as opposed to just kind of in test. Gentlemen, this has been a great conversation. We're just about up on the time limit. Before I let you go, I'm going to give you both maybe about a minute each to walk me through. Okay, agencies, again, we always say this, Ralph, we've heard, we've, you and I have talked about this before. No one's at zero, no one's at 100. They're all in some sort of continuum. What can they take from this last six, nine months and, and apply to the risk management approach? Uh, uh, let me start with you, Ralph. What, what are some things they, they can kind of implement today and, and get better going forward? So I, I think... Um... Anthony had it right in terms of putting a focus on your key data, your key processes, and the things that are really important to keep your mission going and focusing your energy there. I, I think making sure you're instrumented to collect data about your key processes and your people and what they're doing and the risks that they that are created by things like work from home and being able to see that data in real time, make sure it's accurate so that the decisions you're making are timely, they're effective. And when you, God forbid, need to respond, you do it in a timely manner, but it starts with identifying the things that are critical in the first place and making sure that you've got timely and effective controls and responses available uh, in the event something does happen. And Anthony, uh, bringing from the private sector perspectives, what are some things you would recommend when you talk to your government folks? Yeah, look, I think uh, you gotta have the inventory, you gotta have the prioritized view of your enterprise risk, regardless of the industry you're in. You, that's table stakes for any of us. What are those critical risks? Uh, in terms of those risks, what are the impacts? Really contextualized, quantified, and qualified for your board or your or your CEO or you know you know whoever you need to communicate with in your chain of command about you know generally what these things mean. Um, one of the biggest things that companies pay guys like me for for me to do is to is to again do that contextualization, color it, quantify it, qualify it, let them understand the current state. What are we doing about it? What's our residual risk by not addressing it? And that could be impacts, like I said, operational impacts, financial impacts, contractual impacts, regulatory impacts, all of which have different, you know, unfortunately perils associated with them if they're not handled effectively, right? So understand the risks clearly, understand the knock-on effects and the exposures, make sure that your, your management, your command structure understands what those are clearly, and make sure that you're always putting your business in a position to make educated operational risk decisions by saying, hey gang, this is the risk, this is the exposure, by the way, this is what we recommend we do about it, right? And if we were to do this about it, uh, this would cut off this much of the residual risk tail at the back end of this, uh, the back end of this exercise. So that I'm gonna offer you options in terms of investment capability that, you know, if you do this, you can start to mitigate that risk effectively. We're never going to get to mitigate all these things. That's the one thing. Guys like us get paid to deal with shades of gray, right? We are, we're the, it's nothing's Boolean, nothing's binary, nothing's black and white. It's always about what is tolerable within our risk appetite. And in order to define that entity that you're working at's risk appetite, you need to kind of lay out the options and let them make those educated risk decisions. 
and with a whole group, a whole new group of uh, executives coming into the federal government, now's the time to start doing that. Now's the time to uh, make those uh, uh, challenges known. Uh, gentlemen, this has been a great conversation. I learned a lot. Unfortunately, we are out of time. So let me thank my guests. Anthony Belfiore is the Senior Vice President and Chief Security Officer at Aon and a Tanium board member. Anthony, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great. Great to be here. Thank you. And Ralph Kahn, the Vice President of Federal Atanium. Ralph, always great to catch up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's great. Uh, great being here. You've been listening to the discussion, Strengthening Technology Risk Management in the Federal Government, sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Tanium. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Strengthening Technology Risk Management in the Federal Government, sponsored by Tanium on Federal News Network.